0: There are two Old Testament passages, Jeremiah 31 and Micah chapter 7, that help us understand the doctrine of the forgiveness of sins. Jeremiah 31, we'll read verses 18 through 34, and then we'll turn to Micah chapter 7. Jeremiah 31. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Set thee up waymarks, make thee high heaps, set thine heart toward the highway, even the way which thou wentest. Turn again, O virgin of Israel, turn again to these thy cities. How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth, a woman shall compass a man. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as yet they shall use this speech in the land of Judah and in the cities uh, thereof, when I shall bring again their captivity. The Lord bless thee, O inhabitant, O habitation of justice and mountain of holiness." And there shall dwell in Judah itself, and in all the cities thereof together, husbandmen, and they that go forth with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. Upon this I awaked, and beheld, and my sleep was sweet unto me. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man, and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that, like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. In those days shall they say no more, the fathers have eaten a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape his teeth shall be set on edge Behold the days come saith the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt which covenant which my covenant they break although I was in husband unto them saith the Lord but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more." And Then turn to the prophet Micah, one of the minor prophets that follow these major prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Micah, chapter 7, and we'll read just two verses, three verses here, two verses, verses 18 and 19. Who is like a a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not His anger forever, because He delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea." It's in the light of passages like that that we have the teaching of the Catechism in Lord's Day 21. Now we come to the last question and answer in 21. Question and answer 56. In the back of the Psalter on page 12, we have Lord's Day 21. Remember, we're running through the elements of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and now the forgiveness of sins. Question 56. What believest thou concerning the forgiveness of sins? of sins that God for the sake of Christ's satisfaction will no more remember my sins neither my corrupt nature against which I have to struggle all my life long but will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God look at that answer once more there's two main parts that God will no more remember my sins or my corrupt nature but will graciously impute to me. Two very important verbs, remember and impute. I believe the forgiveness of sins and if there's any doctrine that is marvelous wonderful, blessed it's this doctrine. It stands right at the heart of the Christian faith. That was the understanding of the early Christian church when they put together, of course, those 12 articles of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now we are in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What God the Father planned and the Son accomplished, the Holy Spirit now applies. Keep in view that triune division. God the Father planned our salvation. God the Son accomplished it and God the Holy Spirit applies it. What does God the Holy Spirit do? I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe immediately after that the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. This is what God planned. That there would be a church redeemed by the blood of Christ that this church would be gathered together in a communion of saints and that this church would have as its central fundamental blessing this beautiful truth where God says to you I do not hold you responsible for your sins I don't impute your iniquity to your account I see you as perfect I will not punish you for your sins there's nothing better than that there are many other blessings of salvation if you think of what you learn in catechism, regeneration faith, calling justification, sanctification preservation, glorification Right at justification is this doctrine of the forgiveness of sins. But none of those are mentioned here in the Apostles' Creed. All of them are important, but none of them is possible. Except first we have this blessing. The forgiveness of sins. This blessing opens up the door to all of the other blessings of salvation. And when once I know this blessing, I have all of them. And I am at peace. I can go to bed at night and sleep. When God says to me, I don't hold you accountable for your sins, what better is there than that? Let's never forget that, people of God, in the preaching of the gospel, in your own estimation, in your own prayers, when you teach your children, think of, until you die, this confession, I believe the forgiveness of sins. Children, may I speak to you for just a moment? Children, when your parents first teach you to pray, they probably teach you to fold your hands before you eat and say, Lord, bless this food and drink. And then when you get a little bit older, they ask you to pray also this, and forgive my sins. One of the first things that they teach you, children, to pray, because your parents are faithful parents, is. To ask for God to forgive your sins. That's what the sermon is about today. The early church put that in the Apostles' Creed because that's the Scripture. Let's reason from the New Testament back into the Old Testament. Then I'll begin the sermon proper this morning. You read what the Apostle Peter said in his first sermon at the end of that marvelous sermon at Pentecost. The Apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, after the people had repented, broken, what shall we do? Peter said, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. This is the gospel of the Scripture. And then when Paul was converted, and Paul went on his missionary journey, the very first one in Acts 13, after they were sent out by the church at Antioch, Paul got finished with one of his important sermons and said, when they questioned whether this is the man whom they must expect to be their Savior, Paul said, uh, through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified. What the New Testament testifies to us is what the Old Testament said to us. And who can forget... Who've been, who's been raised with this altar, the marvelous Psalm 32. How blessed the man whose trespass has freely been forgiven, whose sin is wholly covered before the sight of heaven. And isn't that why we read what we found in Jeremiah 31? At the end of that passage, where it seems God goes back and forth between blessing and judgment, He says, I'll make a new covenant with you. And this is the new covenant that I'll make with you. I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. When the people of God went to the tabernacle or the temple every Sabbath or every other day that they went there, what was the first thing they had to do is pass that altar of burnt offering. And once they knew, they got past that. Then they could go into the presence of God. That was the key to all of it. The forgiveness of sins in the blood of a substitute. So let's look at this Lord's Day this morning under the simple theme, the forgiveness of sins. First, ask what it is. Second, ask how it's given. And in the third place, what benefit we enjoy in it. What it is, how it is given, and the benefit in it. What it is very simply, is an act of God in which He speaks to your conscience and says, I forgive you. We start there. It's an act of God. The Lord's Day makes that clear. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? That God will no more remember my sins. That God. Start with Him. He's the subject. I do not forgive your sins. A priest in the Roman Catholic Church does not forgive your sins. Though we may make declarations about that, it is God Himself who is the subject of forgiveness. That's why in the Psalms, when you hear the psalmist pleading, he says, let me hear thy voice. I want to hear thy voice. And when Jeremiah says what he does, he quotes God And God says, I will forgive, I will remember no more. And you remember that incident in the New Testament when Jesus said to the lame man, I forgive you. And the people objected. Jesus said, which is harder, to forgive sins or to make that man rise up and walk? But that you may know that I have the authority, Jesus said, to forgive sins, And then he turned to the lame man, and the lame man rose up and walked. Jesus had authority to forgive sins. They objected to that because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. But once you establish that Jesus is God himself, then you understand the truth of forgiveness. God alone forgives sins. It's the act of God as a judge And it's the act of God as a judge with regard to the guilt of sin. Forgiveness has to do with our legal standing before the judge. And the judge says to us, I declare you innocent, or, that's the alternative, I declare you guilty. And those whom he declares innocent, he sets free. Then those whom he declares guilty, he puts in prison for the rest of their lives. It has to do with guilt, and now you children, listen again children, when you pray, forgive my sins, with your little hands folded, and you think of what you did and you shouldn't have done. You disobeyed dad and mom. You were mean to your brother or your sister. You didn't obey your teacher. When you say, forgive my sins, you feel guilty. You know you're responsible for that sin. And you ought to be punished. But now you're not looking at your parents or your teacher or your brother or sister. You're looking up at God. You're ashamed. Because God didn't want you to do that. God called you to do something different. You're guilty. And you know you need to pay. And you fold your hands and you pray, God, forgive my sins. What you want to hear is God say to you two things. I'm not going to write your sin down and remember it, and actually, I'm going to write down on your account that you did good in Christ. That's what you mean when you fold your hands and pray, forgive my sins. You ask God to speak in your ears and in your heart those two things with regard to guilt. So let me explain more carefully those two things, those two aspects of the forgiveness of sins. That's what's in the catechism. We believe concerning the forgiveness of sins that God will no more remember my sins. That's the negative. The positive is that He will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ. So I'm simply explaining what's there in the Reformed Creed, and we'll see that that's biblical. Biblical. The first is negative. He doesn't record our sins. He doesn't remember them. Now all of us have good memories and bad memories. Perhaps with certain things. And with regard to those things we have a hard time remembering. We probably may probably write down a note to remember it. I've got post-it notes and I've got to-do lists. Because if I didn't, I'd never remember. Well just imagine that God had post-it notes... And a note that was big enough to hold all of your sins and your name on the top of it. And when you sin, God has two options. We speak humanly. He can write it down and remember it. Or He can refrain from writing it down and forget it. And this is the gospel. God does not remember your sin. That's the teaching of the book of Jeremiah. That's why we read those two passages. Let's turn to them again for a moment. If you have your Bible open, you'll see that it was the end of Jeremiah 33, 31 reading. That was important. I will forgive their iniquity. What do you mean by that? The prophet goes on to say, and I will remember their sin no more. Those are parallel. They both mean the same thing, spoken from one little different perspective. If you ask, for example, what it means that God forgives, God says, this is what I mean. I forget. I don't remember. It's an activity on my part, deliberately to put it out of my mind. And that's a marvelous thing. So when you see your post-it note, as it were, on the desk of God, and the pen and ink that He has in His hands when you sin and you pray, forgive my sin, you're asking God, please put that pen away with regard to my guilt. Don't write it down to remember it. Later, to punish me for it. And now to think about me in light of it. God, please do not remember my sin. That's the same figure of speech, but from a different point of view in Micah chapter 7. Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity? There's the subject. That passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. There's a transgression. That's our transgression. God comes up to it. He passes right by it. He doesn't dwell with it. He doesn't deal with it. That is, with regard to us. He pardons it. He doesn't retain his anger. The end of verse 18 says. He delights in mercy That's an expression that you ought to think of and use regularly. Look at God. What does He delight in? This. Pity. Compassion. Sympathy. When guilty sinners are burdened with the guilt and shame of their sin, He delights in saying, I am not going to write that down and look at you in the light of it. But it's in that next verse in Micah chapter 7 that is, The figure of speech that we need to remember. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Rather than recording our sins, He as it were ties them to a cinder block. Takes a boat out to the deepest part of the ocean. And drops those sins to the depths of the sea Now you say well God can't do that Well of course God can't do that But you can And that's the figure that God wants you to think about When you think of what He does With our sins What does He do with them He forgets them He puts them in a place where no one will find them And He's not going to dig them up That's the truth Of the forgiveness of sins In the negative side of it He doesn't remember our sins. Forgiveness has to do with what God thinks about you, what God thinks about when He sees you. Now we're concerned about what men think about when they see us. And so we dress in certain ways and we behave ourselves in certain ways and we have certain haircuts and drive certain cars and live in certain homes and we're all concerned about what other people think about us. And that's miserable to live that way. This is the way we ought to think and live with regard to what God thinks about us. When God looks at us, what does He think? He doesn't think about our sin. He doesn't look at you and say, I remember this sin, I remember that sin, I remember all the other sins. He never wrote them down. And every time He declares to you the forgiveness of sins, He says, I'm not going to write that sin down so the forgiveness of sins is not only that God doesn't punish us that's included too in the end when I have to deal with God in the final day of judgment God is not going to punish me on account of my sins he's not going to bring them up Dig out all those old post-it notes and say you did this, that, and the other multitude of things. Now you're going to have to be punished for them. The forgiveness of sins means that, but it doesn't only mean that. It means this, when God looks at you now, when God thinks about you now. He doesn't see your sins. And that's marvelous because I see them. You see them. We all see each other's sins. Some of them. I see many of mine. Most of mine. God doesn't. He says, I don't think about you in the light of your sins. Now, it's not the subject of the sermon this morning, but it is an aspect of this doctrine with regard to our dealings with each other. Because our dealings with each other need to follow the example of God's dealing with us. And sometimes the trouble with our forgiveness is that we say that we're not going to punish the other for their sin. We're not going to take it out on them. But we always remember it. And when we see that neighbor who sinned against us, and maybe it's a very close neighbor, a spouse or a parent or a child or a brother or a sister, we never think of anything except that sin. And that's a sin and our part, forgiveness means not only that we will not punish them for that sin take it out on them, but we will not think of them in the light of it we put it away, and by the grace of God we indeed can forget sometimes people ask me about that, and they have a hard time forgetting then I say that there is a grace of God that enables us to find That delete button in our memory. When we truly forgive, we can forget. Now, of course, if someone reminds us of the sin that the neighbor or spouse committed against us, it can come up in our memory. But by the grace of God, that's not what we think about when we forgive the sin of the neighbor. Wonderful forgiveness. That's what God doesn't do. He doesn't think of us in the light of our sin. But forgiveness is something positive. You have to ask, well, if God doesn't think of us in the light of our sin, how does God think of us? And there's where the catechism goes on to explain, He imputes to me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God. Go back to that sticky note of that big eight and a half sheet, 8 and a half by 11 sheet of paper of memory. Does God write anything down on that sheet? Is there anything that He thinks about when He sees us? And the answer is yes. He imputes to me the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't think about you in the light of your sins. He thinks about you in the light of Jesus. What He sees of you, He sees of Jesus. Righteous, holy, pure, obedient, godly, And all of the other attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. When He looks at you and thinks about you. He looks at you and thinks about you in the light of His Son. And He tells you that. And that's the doctrine of forgiveness. Think about Psalm 32 again. How blessed is He whose trespass hath freely been forgiven. Whose sin is wholly covered before the sight of heaven. Blessed is He to whom Jehovah... Blessed he to whom Jehovah imputeth not his sin. He doesn't impute sin, but he does impute righteousness. That's what he records. That's what he sees when he sees you. And now, children, again, when you pray at night before bed or before a meal and you ask God to forgive your sins, what two things are you thinking God, please don't write down what I did and think about me in light of that. But God, do write down righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and now speak that in my ears and in my heart. And you'll never outgrow that. The need for that. And before we go on to the second point, there are three things that we need to note about that Blessing of forgiveness in which God does not impute to me guilt, but imputes to me righteousness. Number one, it's gracious. The catechism makes clear that too. He will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ. When you read Ephesians 1 verse 7, for example, after the apostle has written that in Christ we have redemption the forgiveness of sins he adds this important statement according to the riches of his grace now if you remember that grace is unmerited favor you remember that you do not deserve this blessing when you ask God to forgive you you don't say because of anything in me you always say because of Jesus for Jesus sake we'll come to that for a moment the first point here not you not you And so, when the Apostle Paul in Romans quotes Psalm 32, he talks about being justified without works. So it's a great mistake when we say, after we've committed an awful sin, and maybe we need to talk to somebody about that, we say to them, but I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve my spouse to forgive me. I don't deserve my parents to forgive me. I don't deserve God to forgive me and the response to that is of course you don't deserve it and if you imagine for a moment that anyone does you don't understand the gospel because the gospel is for undeserving sinners and the free grace of forgiveness is exactly that free, free you don't earn it, you don't deserve it you receive it as you receive Christ alone through faith alone now you repent first, we'll come to that too You believe first, we'll come to that too. You confess first, we'll come to that too. But none of those are the reasons for the forgiveness of sins. The reason is in the satisfaction of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, three things. Number one, it's not in you. Number two, it's in the Lord Jesus. There needs to be a basis, you see, for this declaration of God. God isn't the kind of God who simply overlooks sin, winks at sin. He deals with sin, he just doesn't deal with it in you. He dealt with it in his son. The perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ are given to me. He paid. Your shame, your guilt, your misery, your embarrassment, what you ought to have paid, He paid it's the satisfaction of Christ and that's why now I say again children, listen when you pray and you fold your hands forgive my sins the very next thing you say is for Jesus' sake not for my sake not because of what I'm going to do but because of what Jesus did forgive my sins for Jesus' sake and then third before we go on to the second point And this is probably the hardest part of this doctrine to let sink in. This is an act of God that takes place here and now. Here and now. Every day, over and over and over again, God forgives my sins. You see, it's difficult to let that sink in because we sometimes imagine that the forgiveness of sins took place 2,000 years ago in the cross of Christ. That's the payment for sin that took place 2,000 years ago. That's the satisfaction that was made for sin 2,000 years ago at the cross. But forgiveness takes place here and now when God says to me in my conscience, I forgive you sins. That's why we have to pray it over and over and over. Otherwise, why would you need to pray it? And sometimes a misunderstanding of that uh, difficulty leads to a wrong answer, and the wrong answer is you pray it so that you may be assured of something that you have forgiveness. But the right answer is this, you ask for forgiveness because you need God to give it to you. When you read Psalm 32, you read David saying, "I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid." I said, "I will confess my transgression, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin." Right then, God forgave, and that's the way it goes in our lives too. That's also the key to the perhaps puzzling thing of a man who dies perhaps as a Christian but not having repented of a certain sin that he had committed. And you say, he never received forgiveness for that. He must then, you improperly conclude, go to hell. And the answer is no. His sins were paid for in the cross of Christ. But there were certain sins, perhaps some important ones, that he had not yet confessed to God, And when he died in that auto accident, not knowing he was going to be finished with his days here at that moment, God hadn't declared to him forgiveness for that particular sin, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't go to heaven. He goes to heaven on the basis of the righteousness of Christ and the satisfaction on the cross. Forgiveness is the gift that God gives to us every single day when we ask, God, forgive my sins let's explain further then in the second point when we ask the question, how is this gift gift given? There are four things here, by the Spirit, in the church, through the preaching, and in the way of faith and repentance. By the Spirit, in the church, through the preaching, and in the way of confession and faith. Let me briefly explain each of those. First of all, the gift of forgiveness is given by the Holy Spirit. Remember the context of the Apostles' Creed here. God the Father planned our salvation. God the Son accomplished our salvation. God the Holy Spirit now applies our salvation. Just as the Spirit gathers the church, glues us together in the communion of the saints, the Spirit also is the one who gives us this blessing. It's the Spirit that speaks in your ear and heart when you lie down at night and pray for forgiveness. How else would it come to you but by His Holy Spirit? It's the Spirit that releases you from the responsibility to pay and gives you that sense of relief. I'm not going to stand in the judgment of God guilty. I'm going to stand there innocent. He is the one Who speaks that to you? I think we lose sight of that work of the Spirit. We imagine that the Pentecostals maybe have something that we miss. And the Pentecostals speak of the great gifts of the Spirit, the ability to do marvelous things, and they forget this one fundamental blessing. And the Holy Spirit comes to me in the quietness of night, or perhaps in family devotions, and he speaks in my heart. God does not impute to you your sins. You are righteous in the Lord Jesus by the Spirit. Secondly, in the church, and only in the church. That's the context of the Apostles' Creed, too, isn't it? There's more to it than you might imagine the setup of the Apostles' Creed God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit's work is to create a church, bring people in, unite them in the communion of saints, and there, and in that way, He blesses with the spiritual blessings of salvation. That has two sides to it in the church, in the communion of the saints. Number one is if you or I live in the communion of the saints in a way that I am antagonistic toward you and bitter toward you unforgiving of you never inclined to deal with you the way I ought to deal then God's not going to speak to me that testimony I forgive your sins that's why we pray in the Lord's prayer forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors we'll come to that God willing in a few months in the Heidelberg Catechism there's a relationship between my communion with you and life with you and God's testifying to me that blessing of forgiveness. He won't give it to me if I am living in a way with you that I ought not to live. And He certainly is not going to give me that blessing if I try to set myself apart from the church of Christ. The ancient church always used to say in The church is salvation. Outside of the church is no salvation. What do they mean by that? They meant, in the first place, this. If you are not a member of a church participating in the life of the congregation, especially sitting under the preaching of the word, you won't hear this testimony. You won't receive this blessing. You'll go to bed at night thinking that you will, but you will not. And that's because the blessing comes in the third place through the preaching. By the Spirit, in the church, through the preaching. You hear God testify to you, as you did this morning. I, God, He says to you through me, I'm not going to write down your sins as you embrace my Son. I, God, in fact, I'm going to write down righteousness. And I, God, when I look at you, see only the righteousness of my Son. That's how you receive This blessing. He does that through the preaching. The preaching. You see, there's a misunderstanding of the error of the Roman Catholic Church of the past. And the error in the understanding of their thinking, of their error, is that the priest took it upon himself to forgive sins. The priest has the right. And the minister has the right and the duty to make a declaration in the preaching. Your sins are forgiven you by God. You understand the error of the Roman Catholic priest. He did that on his own. He thought he had the right. He had the ability to forgive sins. He forgot that he was standing as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, In John chapter 20, whose sins you remit, they are remitted. And whose sins you retain, they are retained. He was speaking of the church in its office of the ministry and the preaching. This is where God makes that declaration especially. That's why Nathan was able to do what he did with David. First preached David's sin and guilt and said, you're the man. And then David said, I'm the man. And then Nathan said, your sins are forgiven. That was God's declaration through the preaching. By the Spirit, in the church, through the preaching, and in the way of confession and faith, it's on that path and that path alone that we receive this blessing. This is what the Holy Spirit gives to us by the preaching through faith. Through faith. Now, we've always said as churches, and that came out especially in 1953, when we faced the error that faith was a condition, we said, no, faith is the way. We've always said, that's the biblical teaching, that it's in the way of faith. That we receive the forgiveness of sins. And always with faith is repentance. And no one receives the blessing of forgiveness without repentance. And with repentance is confession. And we can say without faith and repentance and confession. No one hears God say to them, I forgive you of your sins. Let me go back once more to Psalm 32 and sing it for you, that is, say it in the words of the psalm, when I confess transgression, then thou forgavest me. That's the order. That's God's order. It's not because we confess. It's not because we repent. But it's in the way of confession and repentance and faith that God speaks to us. Isn't that what the Apostle John testified? In 1 John chapter 1, I forgot to put a tab there. Let me find that for just a moment. In 1 John chapter 1, the apostle says, If. It's a very important if. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession, repentance, faith, and forgiveness in that order. A God-worked repentance and a God-worked confession and a God-worked faith are the way in which that declaration from God comes to me. Marvelous blessing of the forgiveness of sin. How blessed, the psalmist said in Psalm 32. I hope you go home today and reflect on that. And maybe start reflecting on that blessedness this way. What if God was recording all my sins? What if when I die, they're all going to be dug up again? What if God looked at me right now in the light of all the sins that I've committed? That's what he thinks about. What if I'm responsible to pay for every one of my evil thoughts, evil words, evil actions, all my omissions, and my sinful nature? What if I were required to pay? There's nothing worse Than to imagine that. And there's nothing better than to know this by the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. God says to me now, and He will say to me in the end, I forgive you. I release you from the responsibility to pay. I've never written down any of your sins. You're free. Come now into my presence. And if that's the blessedness that you will experience when you die, may that be the blessedness that you experience now, right now. God declares to you, as you are sorry for your sins, and as you embrace His own Son, you're righteous, you're perfect, you're innocent, you're mine. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word. Speak by Thy Spirit as we assemble here in the company of the saints. To our hearts, in our minds, and in the hearts and minds of our little children too. I forgive you. I do not impute to you your sins. But I grant and impute to you the righteousness of my own Son. So send us home, Father, with the joy of the Sabbath, and unite us in peace, and in all of the troubles that we face, may we know this one thing, that there is with Thee forgiveness, that Thou dost delight in mercy, Thou art a God who pardons and casts into the depths of the sea all of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.